Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border. Nah, we're not on the border. We're in the land of liberty and prosperity. Yes, we are recording this from New Jersey today. How's everybody doing? I hope everybody enjoyed their few days off for the Independence Day holiday. Lord knows I did. So, uh, last time we were on the air, we talked about the EPA. We got the story out. Getting sued by... Uh, 10 states right over uh, what is it now the wood burning stoves now you're going to say well why you know why what's the big deal why are you covering this because it swerved into a big thing that's going on. It always goes on with uh, the uh, issue attention cycle, right? And first time I heard of the issue attention uh, cycle was in graduate school. In a article from way back in 1972, up and down with ecology, the issue attention cycle I guess now it's a classic uh, written by a guy by the name of Anthony Downs. Um, I, I believe he uh, passed away a couple years ago, but this is like really important because this is, uh, he described, and I don't believe he was the first one to describe this. He applied first, he, he was the first one to apply it to what they called then ecological in, uh, issues. Now we would call it environmental issues. But this whole cycle seeps into the way a lot of organizations run their safety and environmental programs. So what is that? All related here. Number one, you have what is called a a pre-problem stage, meaning you have a problem that gets uh, defined, whatever that is, however you want to define it. Then you get... Alarm discovery. Oh my gosh, this is going on. I can't believe it. Oh no. And then it moves on into the, man, that's going to cost a lot of political capital, a lot of money for us to go uh, and fix that. And it's going to require these massive laws and everything else to go and handle that. Right? And then... There's a gradual decline in public interest. Public's not paying attention to it. Or whatever the stakeholder group is not uh, interested in it anymore. And the problem sort of like goes away where you don't, you know, you, you know, people forget about it because it's not on the front page. And then it moves into the post-problem stage. What that is, is an, uh, in the final stage, an issue that has been replaced at the center of public concern, moved into prolonged uh, limbo, a twilight realm of lesser attention or spasmodic recurrences of incident interest. However, the issue now has a different relation to public attention than that which prevailed in the pre-problem stage. For one thing, during the uh, time that interest was sharply focused on the problem, new institutions, programs, and policies may have helped created to help solve it. And then... What happens? Oh, no, that's not work. That doesn't work. 
Right, that was a quote from Anthony Downs, that uh, thing. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Wow. And it wasn't solved. Now we have, oh, a pre, we're back to the pre-problem stage again. I, our policy isn't working. And this is the way a lot of issues, most issues, get uh, resolved in the public domain. So, for example, now let's go back into our tense. Uh, 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 let's review the, review the uh, uh, problem here. And this is Associated Press uh, from July 2nd, which was Sunday, I believe. Yeah, Sunday. Attorneys General from 10 states plan to sue the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, saying its failure to review and ensure emission standards for residential wood-burning stoves has allowed the continued sale of appliances that could worsen pollution. That means programs that encourage people to trade in older stoves and other wood-burning appliances haven't necessarily improved air quality, the states say. If newer wood heaters do not meet cleaner standards, then programs to change out old wood heaters may provide little health benefits at a significant public cost. Thursday, uh, the states wrote Thursday a 60-day notice of intent to sue. The eight states involved are Alaska, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington, as well as the Puget Sound Clean Air Agency. They allege that the EPA's current standards aren't good enough, and that even if they were, the agency's testing and certification program is so ineffective that it has failed to ensure those standards. The EPA declined to comment on pending litigation. Wow, wow, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. The states allege that the EPA's current standards must be reviewed and that its testing and certification program is so ineffective it has failed to ensure existing standards. The EPA's Office of Inspector General, in a report released in February, found the EPA's 2015 performance standards for residential wood heaters was flawed and said the agency has approved methods that lack clarity and allow too much flexibility. As a result, as a result certification tests may not be accurate, do not reflect real-world conditions, and may result in some wood heaters being certified for sale that emit too much particulate matter pollution. So, uh, what do they spend? $82 million in grants here to replace this and everything else. And of course, uh, it's all about global warming. We got to keep that in the forefront. So, when you go and you analyze an environmental issue, political issue, social issue, it could be a company policy. You got to look at this issue attention cycle and where we are in here. Because I tell you what, with some issues like global climate change or what we used to call global warming and what before that we called the greenhouse effect, we keep on getting into this, right? Pre-problem stage, oh my Lord, what's going on? Then alarm discovery and euphoric youth. Oh my Lord, oh, what are we going to do? And then realization of, oh, well, we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And guess what? What we're now finding out is now the... the uh, policies that are being adopted to fight climate change, and this is one of them with the wood-burning stoves, are not doing their job. And now that moves into the gradual decline in public, and nobody in the news media doesn't cover it. And then all of a sudden, they kick it right back in. So now this does a couple of things. Number one, you're in a constant state of panic. And what happens when you're in a constant state of panic? You make bad decisions. Knee-jerk reactions, knee-jerk analysis leads to knee-jerk solutions that don't work usually or are not effective. And this is what we have here with the wood-burning stove issues, according to these 10 states. Now, they intend to sue the EPA. That may not ever happen. Notice to intend to sue. Okay, 60-day notice. They got to give. Great, great, great. Okay, now, let's think about this. Haven't we had a lot of controversial precedents overturned in the by the Supreme Court lately? No, we we've had. And let me point out 
that a good chunk of Supreme Court cases that you never hear about are overturning precedents. Right, current precedents. So the fact that the cases get overturned, precedent, new precedents get uh, uh, issued and followed and things are declared unconstitutional, that's a fairly routine thing. Where it now becomes an issue is, guess what? Issue attention cycle. We got to gin things up. We got to get people all upset. Now they're overturning a lot of stuff in court. Now the Bible tells me what my Bible says, at least, right? And I forget exactly the verse. You could go and look it up for yourself. You know, uh, let me see your Bible verses about uh, going to court. All right, so let's look this up. Here you go. Bible, according to BiblePortal.com, has 66 uh, uh, references to court. So this is from the New International Version, Matthew 5, 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Wow, this is out of the Bible. All right? Because this is, right, Matthew chapter 5. Anyway, we're going to say, well, what's your point, Jim? Once you get into court, there's no telling what's going to happen. You may end up having the Supreme Court saying, this law is unconstitutional. Why are we even here? Why are we doing this? It may not go the way that you think it's going to go. I had pointed this out with the recent uh, ruling with uh, with the guns, right, last year. You can go look up that ruling. Where I said in 2009, from uh, because this was a new local New York's case in Westchester County, uh, where they didn't allow someone to have a concealed carry permit, I said, I think they mess, they're messing with the wrong person here. I think, this, based on what I've read, I got to read some of the legal briefs because I had access to them, and uh, the, the lawsuit, I said, they might get, eventually, they have a lot of money behind them, number one. And number two, this might eventually get this overturned, all these concealed carry laws. So they may not be going down a good road here. I'm going to say this with this. They, okay, we have, and everyone knows I spent uh, a, uh, a mint on a brand new uh, uh, a wood-burning stove last year, uh, right? All modern and everything else. And lo and behold, guess what? That might have not been necessary if all these laws get overturned with that. And I tell you what, the secondary market, on wood-burning stoves that don't meet these requirements is obscene. And also, you can also buy the old stones stoves without the catalyst online. No restrictions out there. I don't know where you're getting them. I don't know if they're NFPA approved. I don't know or, or anything like that. I'm, and I tell you what, if you're getting them into your house... They had better be NF, meet all the legal requirements, NFVA requirements, and everything else, because I tell you what, that house catches on fire because of that stove, you may not be covered. That's what I'm told by insurance agents. Check it, check your own policy as usual. And that's what we're going to open up with here in my monologue. And uh, every program now is going to, I'm going to try to do a monologue at the beginning, and then we'll go on to our regular news and views. Uh, we're going to, Cut away to a commercial break now. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including... Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, 
Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, Jessica. I am your father. Anyway, I I don't know. What did you think? Now, something to think about. Uh, Issue attention cycle also. How does that apply to safety? Let's talk about safety management here. Okay, we ha- I know somebody who does this, right? And guess what? He doesn't. He stopped doing it once I pointed out to him uh, uh, about uh, different things because he was not getting a job, and people were like not wanting to work with him because he kept doing this. As I was reminded today by several uh, experiences. A lot of the companies out there, the smaller contractors, maybe the contractors and workplaces where they don't have a full-time safety person who are maybe trying to get one, they're trying to work safe. They're not evil companies, they're just smaller companies. They can't afford a full-time safety person. They don't have the wherewithal or, no, one of the things you're trying to do is we're uh, involved in continuing education and everything else. No, the companies don't have it. It does make them an evil company. They get a safety professional out there. So for to example, today I was discussing with a contractor uh, what OSHA recordable was, right, and recordability and everything else. And I had, uh, uh, no, went through the whole thing. They said, we didn't know that. I said, well, did were you 30-hour outreach trained? And they said, yeah, 30-hour outreach trained, but they didn't go into what recordability was and everything. Our company just told us X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, that's not exactly true. And so what happens is there's a lot of companies out there, especially in the construction industry, smaller companies. Uh, and what ends up happening is the... A safety professional goes out there and says, hey, uh, oh, no, we have a pre-problem stage here. We have, no, we have this thing. Then, oh, my Lord, you, oh, wow, hey, uh, you know, oh, oh, you got a problem here. You got to do this. You got to do training. You got to do this, blah, 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 blah. And then, oh, it's going to cost you a mint, but you know what? You got me and you got to pay me, and you got to get more, or I know a friend who does X, Y, and Z. Oh, no. And then what happens is, the employer is like, look, dude, I just spent all this money on you. You got to go out there and fix the problem here, and we're not interested in spending $10,000 on safety training on a situation that we've never seen happen. We've, it's extremely low-gravity risk, low-gravity consequence, uh, can we do this internally? And do you have a way of maybe doing this internally so we can still be in compliance and everything else uh, so we don't have to blow $10,000 on training classes? No, can, you know, is there a way we could do this legitimately? Is there a quote-unquote good enough thing where maybe we don't need a full-blown uh, training course on this, but maybe only on what we're doing? And uh, Oh, and then what happens? A safety officer goes, maybe with a tail in between their legs, or maybe something else happens, uh, you know, and other priorities come up, and there's a gradual decline, right? And maybe there's a quick fix that doesn't really fix things, and then there's a post-problem stage, and then all of a sudden, 
Now, pre-vomit, go right back into a pre-vomit stage, and the desirable, oh, oh, no, ah, and then go, this wasn't done, blah, blah, and then it starts all over again. Maybe it's for the same issue, maybe it's something else. And guess what happens? Safety professionals, the next guy that might come in is going to say, look, that's not a problem, but we can fix that uh, type of thing. Uh, not a big deal. Now you made yourself look like a fool, or maybe... The person, your employer gets, and it does happen, they get other consultants, other people involved that don't tell you. And you run through, um, so with this friend of mine in the industry, I said, look, dude, you can't continue to do this to people because you know why you're never, you're always out of work. Nobody wants to work with you. Is that you go through this thing with issue attention cycle again and again and again and again and again. And... You run into it. And this is one of the things that contributes to the safety people being some of the most hated people on these job sites. Or rather, being a coach, they're an alarm. They're an alarmist. They're an alar- a bell ringer, right? Whatever you want to call it. And that's uh, what impedes what we're trying to do here. So uh, that's uh, what we're going to go through here. Uh, keep that in mind. Okay, let's move on to... Our news. This is off of the OSHA.gov website. Uh, they released one story today. For the third, uh, a uh, federal investigation into a 20-year-old worker's death in Alabama finds the sawmill operator again ignored machine safety requirements. For the third time since 2020, the operator of a sawmill in Alabama, Connecticut, Florida, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Virginia, fail, failed to follow uh, federal workplace safety standards across its organization. Remember, all of these have the same EIN number, right? Employer identification number, that's like the social security number, or they were actually linked together somehow uh, with this, resulting in a worker fatality at its Alabama facility and a U.S. Department of Labor uh, uh, labor investigation. An investigation by the department's OSHA determined that a 20-year-old sawmill worker, part of a six-member crew trying to clear a jam roller at a facility in Troy, Alabama, in December 2022, was crushed, crushed when stored energy caused the infeed unit to close on him. OSHA issued a willful citation for allowing workers to perform maintenance on equipment without controlling hazardous energy sources. The company also failed to review its energy uh, isolation uh, procedures regarding to ensuring compliance and did not train employees on how to isolate stored energy and hydraulic accumulators. Uh, they, uh, the incident follows tragedies in 2021 and 2020 related to an improper, uh, to improper machine operators operations at two sawmills in Florida at uh, the graceful location March 2021, an employee trying to fix the machine's faulty hydraulic valve suffered crushing injuries when they were caught in the machine's wheels and pulleys. And in 2020, a worker suffered an amputation injury and then died in a hospital after the hand came into contact with a nip point. This is a quote from Jose Gonzalez in Mobile, Alabama. He is the OSHA area office director. The company's, and I'm not, I'm not mentioning company's name here, uh, failure to comply with a well-known safety requirements led to the death of a worker, put others at serious risk of harm. Safety standards exist to protect workers from the hazards. So they're getting whacked with a uh, $184,385 in proposed penalties. And... Uh, since 2013, the agency has cited the sawmill operator and subsidiaries with 19 serious and other than serious violations. So what do we have here? I have the citation right in front of me. Citation one, item one. And it's a lockout tagout. Periodic of inspection of the energy control panels, 1910-147, it's $14,063. Citation 1, item 2, 
Uh, no training in lockout tagout, $14,063. Those are serious. Citation 2, item 1, willful serious. Uh, this is lockout tagout violation. Uh, the energy control procedures do not clearly and specifically outline the steps for shutting down, isolating, blocking, and securing machines or equipment to control hazardous energy. This was on $156,259. Citation 2, 1B, type of violation, serious. Lack of isolating devices, and this was $0 uh, for that. All right, now, remember, as of, I believe it was March 31st of this year, every one of these could potentially be uh, uh, separate, right? Well, the inspection date is 6-3-2023, so this might have been. I mean, uh, they told us at the beginning of the year, be prepared for higher fines. EPA fines nine Springfield, Missouri home renovators for lead-based paint violations. This is in from Lenexa, Kansas. From July 3rd, that's Monday, nine home renovation companies in Springfield, Missouri have agreed to pay $30,000 collectively in penalties to the EPA to resolve the alleged violations of the Federal Toxic Substances Control Act. According to the EPA, the following companies, right, there was nine of them, failed to comply with regulations intended to reduce the hazards of lead-based paint exposure during renovations. And uh, basically, a uh, number of years ago, EPA came out with regulations on for home renovations uh, because the OSHA regulations and all the other HUD, HUD guidelines were not doing their jobs. So again, uh, issue attention cycle. Regulations were issued without and didn't were ineffective, so they issued more regulations on here. Uh, so uh, they're doing basically if you have a home. That is pre-1978. Uh, they're required to uh, comply with EPA's lead renovation, repair, and painting program. It includes all different types of training and everything else. I've been through it. Let me point out something to you. Right before, and I know this from the industrial painting uh, community, right before all these uh, lead-based paint uh, interior homes, interior paints were banned, there was a huge run on them. And what I've always been told is probably if your house is uh, from 1980 or before, they'll add a couple of years or 81 or before because contractors are still using lead-based paint right, that they had on uh, back, uh, no, and in their uh, back of their warehouse wherever. So it may not be from uh, 78, it may be a little bit after that. That's what I was told by on good authority. Okay, we not only talk about, uh, we not only talk about safety, right, industrial safety, but we talk about all different types of safety here. Here is safety to our First Amendment rights. Judge praised for stunning July 4th rebuke of Biden amid administration on big tech censorship. A federal judge is being applauded for a surprise July 4th ruling stating the Biden administration likely violated the First Amendment during COVID-19 pandemic. U.S. District Court Judge Terry A. Doherty, Do Doty, I'm sorry, Doty, Judge Terry A. Doty, ordered an injunction on Independence Day to prevent White House officials and federal agencies from meeting with tech companies about social media censorship, arguing past actions likely violated the Constitution. I think that language reflects that this was a stunning rebuke, but also an appropriate one. Former and that's a quote from former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, on Fox News' America's Newsroom. The holiday uh, re injunction was in response to recent lawsuits from Louisiana and Missouri attorneys general. The suit alleged that the White House coerced or significantly encouraged tech companies to suppress free speech. Uh during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Several officials and agencies, including some of Biden's cabinet members and White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, Pierre, have been barred from contacting social media companies 
in efforts to suppress free speech. Uh, I think that this is probably going to be appealed. Uh, that's what I'm looking at uh, here. This is a somewhat of a local uh, story here, and this story is not uh, showing up. Hold on. Uh, so uh, this is from CNN. Uh, why am I saying it's local? This was all going on in upstate New York, a couple of miles away from my a mother-in-law's uh, and father-in-law's former house where they lived. And I, before my mother-in-law passed away, I was busting your chops a little bit. I said, all this was going on a couple of miles away from you. What kind of place do you live in? Allison Mack. And not, by the way, this is not a laughing ma- manner, but it goes to show you the kind of guvno that goes on in your community and you don't even know about it. I mean, this is, uh, I, I mean, you know, this is messed up here. All right. Allison Mack, the former Smallville actress and high-ranking member of the cult-like group Nixium, spelled N-X-I-V-M, was sentenced to three years in prison in 2021, was released Monday, the F- Federal Bureau of Prisons said in online records. Mack, well, now, I don't know, my math may be off, but uh, 2021 plus three is 2024. But probably got out on good behavior or... Uh, no, she was under house arrest for several years. Mack was arrested in 2018 along with other Nixium leaders, including Keith Rainier, who was convicted of racketeering charges. Rainier found Nixium and was the founder of Nixium was sentenced to 120 years in prison in 2020. Mack pleaded guilty to racketeering, racketeering conspiracy charges one month before Rainier's 2019 trial was set to begin. Everybody cut a deal on this one. There was a lot of people here. Uh, Again, Nixium, a company based in Albany, New York, touted self-help classes. And I'll add this, uh, focus on women. So what they did allegedly, and there was a Netflix series on this, this is all alleged, they created a, a group within a group, like a sorority in the sorority. And uh, you know, uh, all different types of people got involved. Uh, some people threw away their careers uh, to get involved here and... They're in, uh, thankfully, in a uh, recovery here. This is from uh, National Review. I know we hit some, hey, we have conservative, we have liberal outlets here. I trust whatever's interested in me is uh, interesting to me is what I go through here. Colleges may rethink kangaroo court proceedings and sex assault cases after Yale legal loss. A Connecticut Supreme Court ruling last month found that Yale University failed to provide adequate safeguards in the discipline hearing for student accused of sexual assault that could have uh, implications for colleges and universities across the country whose own discipline proceedings don't allow defendants to confront their accuser or to cross-examine witnesses. In its unanimous June 27th ruling in the case Khan versus Yale, the court found that Yale's discipline hearing failed to ensure reliability or to promote fundamental fairness to the defendant, uh, Mr. Khan, an undergraduate neuroscience student who was accused of sexually assaulting a classmate in her dormitory uh, nearly eight years ago. Uh, Khan's case, which alleged Title IX violations by the university and also targeted his accuser, uh, took a circuitous pass through the federal and state courts. The Connecticut uh, Supreme Court ruling addressed Khan's right to sue his accuser for defamation or torturous interference with business relations in connection with the statements she made during a university hearing. The court's ruling that Khan's accuser does not have absolute immunity from a lawsuit over the allegations she made, the hearing could lead other schools to reconsider how they handle similar readings. But my fear here is this. I get it. We need fairness in these things, and a lot of these... uh, uh, stuff, ha- a lot of these colleges have been accused, some legitimately, some not, of shenanigans in the disciplinary process when it comes to all different types of things, including sexual assault. I know of cases when I was in college back in the ancient days where uh, my roommate got caught with a uh, uh, accusations that were not true, and they ended up 
going and getting into big trouble. I know that the accusations weren't true. We all testified on his behalf that they weren't true, but guess what? Uh, he still lost, and it was unfair. And his attorney just said, you know, just take the punishment. They're not going to expel you. Just take the punishment and move on. And uh, what ended up, uh, no, so I get this. I get this. Wrongfully accused. It wasn't a sexual assault case. It was with another type of alleged violation that never happened. I get it uh, with this. All right. Uh but here we have a situation. They go to court here. It goes through court. A issue gets resolved. Now I tell you what, we're going to have women and sometimes men. By the way, I know a man, man who got sexually assaulted at college, right? I not want to report these things. Right? And that are legitimate cases, and that's what my fear is here. Right? Where now we're going to have legitimate cases that go unreported, and you're, okay, I can get the legitimate places, cases not, all right, great. We manage, I know, they're out there. But I'm sorry. These are legitimate cases. I, I am being, uh, oh, I can't really talk about it, but. I'm being consulted on one of these cases, a high-profile case uh, right now on this that I can't really go into. And some of the stuff is horrific, the accusations and the evidence. And I just hesitate to... uh, I hesitate to think what this is going to lead to. Is this going to be back in the, to what the 1980s were, where it was a free-for-all in the 1970s? People did whatever the hell they want without any... Oh, well, guess what? Now we're going to start suing uh, alleged victims here. I, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. Again, that's uh, another battle in the safety war. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Okay, uh, efforts, uh, here we go. Uh, well, let's see where we're going to go. Okay, now here we have the use of drone technology by police. So I'm reading a story from NBC News um, here, and uh, it's from today, uh, 6.30 a.m., uh, So this is a story from Santa, what's the name of the town? Santa Monica, is it? California. Where you call up the police and the police drone will be there before the police. Right? Santa Monica, yeah. So, uh, been used for this. Now, my question is this, all right? Good or bad? I think it's relatively a good thing. With the drone technology going out there, and seeing uh, all this stuff that's in plain view. How about if a regulatory agency wants to fly a drone over private property, a large piece of private property? Is that illegal or not? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. With that, uh, there's some, uh, what about the footage that they may collect that may be in a violation of privacy? where you think that you have some privacy in your backyard or in your house, now you have a drone, uh, I don't know if it's good or not uh, with this. What do you do with the data once you get it? Uh, the other thing is rescue missions. I mean, drone technology. I mean, uh, if I wanted to do all over again, one of the things I would consider is being a drone pilot. Because I tell you what, every one of these construction jobs, every one of these environmental cleanups, every one of these missing persons cases, they're using drone technology. And I'm going to say this, if you're using it commercially, get a license. 
with that. Uh, I know people who uh, use it commercially without a license, and I'm like, you're playing with fire, guys. That's a felony. So here we have missing Massachusetts woman Emma Tatuski found trapped in the mud at a state park. Massachusetts, a Massachusetts woman who disappeared late last month was found Monday at a state park where authorities uh, said she had been trapped in a muddy area for at least three days. Emma Tatuski, who was reported missing on June 26, was rescued from a swampy area inside Borderland State Park, Easton and Stoughton Police said in a joint statement. Hikers inside the Easton Park said they heard a woman screaming for help but were unable to reach her, so they called 911 at about 6 p.m. Monday. Easton police officers arrived on the scene to heard Tatuski's desperate calls for help and followed her screams some 50 feet away from the shore. Three cops on ATVs waded through thick brush and swamp until they reached Tatuski, who was 31, and dislodged her from the mud. The officers carried her back to land where she received medical assistance. Right, she was then transported, right, blah, blah, blah. Now, here's what the question here is with this. Uh, buddy system. Are you going into the woods without telling people where you're going to be or without a cell phone, without a GPS locator, which is actually very uh, cheap nowadays, the satellite GPS locator. You can get one for under 400 bucks. What are you doing? I, I know I had some mixed feelings this week with my son in Boy Scout camp, do I give him the phone? Which, by the way, James, I have your phone right here. Do I send him in with a phone or not? Only because uh, it's our custom in our house that when we are going into the woods, or it could be a crowded place, uh, my son carries his phone, my daughter carries my spare phone, just so we can locate them if they are missing, or at least we can locate the phone. I know my brother uh, had... This technology is not new. My brother had this technology in the mid-2000s, 2004, 2005, on my niece, who, uh, you know, they would track where she is, right? Where Because it went in her school bag, so they knew where exactly where she was. This is before the era of smartphones. Good way, protecting kids with that, uh, with that technology. I think that's probably the most... Uh, effective and one of the better pieces of technology here uh, that's out there uh, with uh, uh, with uh, uh, with this. Here's another bizarre missing persons uh, case, and this is bizarre, I tell you. Neighbors of a Houston man who was found alive after vanishing as a teen eight years ago have questioned whether the 25-year-old has ever really been missing, claiming they often saw him around the community. Keisha Ross and her family were shocked to hear reports that Rudy Farias was located because they never knew he had been reported missing in 2015. He used to come into my garage, chill with my cousin, son, and daughter, Ross told news outlet, with cited civil court records that indicate Farias's mother lives on the same street in northeast Houston. That boy has never been him missing, the neighbor said, adding that he would go to the park by himself at times. Uh, again, people are in here, right? The neighbors who knew Farius as Dolph, short for Rudolph, told uh, KTRK that he had visited their home often, but, he had not, but they had not seen him in the past few weeks. So I don't know. Uh, they're saying he was homeless. He suffered from depression, PTSD. Uh, you know, uh, the mother says that, well, that's not him. I don't know. This is all bizarre. I have heard of people, uh, 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 not the first time I've heard of something like this. I wish we could play Baby Shark. I, you know, I was on YouTube Live. We uh, were... Uh, Playing, you know, the, uh, 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 we were playing, uh, you know, uh, again, my son's games. And in the background, when the walk-up music, I got dinged on YouTube for walk-up music being on there playing in the background that I had no control over. They cited me for a copyright abuse. Wow. I guess we're not allowed to do that anymore. 
So there are reports of sharks all over the place. Here we have a school of 50 sharks closes down Long Island Beach on 4th of July after two teens were bitten. Right, so here we have a school of about 50 sand sharks. This is from the New York Post. Was spotted off Long Island Beach Tuesday, off of Long Island Beach. Just hours after a girl was bitten at the same beach and a nearby, nearby a boy suffered injuries and the first confirmed shark attack. The sharks were seen schooling around 200 yards off Robert Moses Beach around 8 a.m. before the beach was open for the busy 4th of July holiday as staff conducted a precautionary check off the waters, of the waters. There were about 50 sand sharks that we saw. Obviously, we did not open for swimming at 8 o'clock when lifeguards came on duty. Gorman said that staff monitored the school of sharks, also known as sand tiger sharks, with surveillance drones, drone technology, right, and uh, for about an hour and a half before they determined the beaches were safe uh, to go on. Now, here's my question. And, and no, since the uh, advent of this drone technology, they're finding all different kinds of stuff floating around in the water. So these sharks, a lot of times I suspect, were there all the time, but we never saw them because we didn't have drones. Here is uh, from one from the Epoch Times. Suicides uh, among active duty military increased for the first three months of this year compared to the first quarter of 2022, according to a new Pentagon report. The number of military suicides rose 25% uh, from 75 in the first quarter of 2022 to 94 in the first quarter of 2023, according to the report. This was the highest number of active duty suicides since 97, uh, since 97 were reported in true 2021. Again, if you are, uh, if you have, uh, 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 if you have uh, mental health issues, please get help. You want to commit suicide? Please get help. Life is worth living. Family plans to sue ride operator after a six-year-old boy falls uh, 40 feet in a zip line incident. The family of a six-year-old boy who, was survi- who survived a terrifying fall from the zip line said they plan on suing the ride operator for what they saw was for training. The boy was on a family trip at an amusement park in Mexico when he reportedly fell at least 40 feet after his harness snapped. The frightening incident was caught on camera. Luckily, he landed in an artificial pool below where... Tourist, a tourist reportedly rescued him. The child was not seriously injured. The incident was on the latest. So, I tell you what, I was on a cruise ship. They had one of these zip lines. And they had, rather than, and I, I, no, I, I look at this thing, and I said, rather than a carabiner that could hold 5,000 pounds or whatever the uh, mountain climbing style carabiners could hold. They had, you're going to love this one, a key ring that could hold 150 pounds connected off to the zip line, folks. I pointed it out to the cruise ship. I pointed it out to the corporate safety director for the cruise line. Guess what happened? Nothing. Never heard from back from him. So be careful when you're in these areas uh, like that. Yes, a key ring carabiner that you would buy at a department store. Yeah. I don't know what happened here, but, you know, I didn't look at the video. I don't like watching videos like that of children getting hurt. I'm sure it's out there on the Internet. This July 4th was hot. Earth's hottest day on record, in fact. Tuesday was the hottest day on Earth since at least 1979, with the global average temperature reaching 62.92 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the U.S. National Center for Environmental Prediction. As a result, some scientists believe July 4th may have been one of the hottest days on Earth in around 125,000 years. So it was hot in the past, too? Really? 
I'm shocked, I tell you, shocked. Anyway, again, issue attention cycle. So we know Wagner Group uh, took cover in Belarus after the failed mutiny against the Kremlin, but dozen, uh, dozens of other mercenary groups were already poised to take their place in the Ukrainian conflict. The mercenaries from Radut, Slavatikorps, and Enot, I don't know what that stands for, among dozens of others have already been spotted fighting in the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that began last year, according to reports. Mercenaries from RUDOT, also known as RUDOT, RUDOT Anti-Terror, were among the most prominent and were some of the first to enter the conflict in Ukraine, according to Russian news reports. The group, whose Russian language name means redoubt, has been active in Syria, where soldiers have been involved in guarding facilities for construction conglomerates controlled by Russian billionaire Gennady Timchenko. Some of the group's mercenaries, which were recorded, recruited on Russian social media platforms, have been convicted of war crimes during the invasion, according to the Kharkiv Human Rights Protection Group. What could possibly go wrong? Texas, one dead and four injured after a major fire from fireworks explosion in East Texas, authorities say. This is from July 4th. A fireworks explosion in East Texas left at least one person dead and several others injured on July 4th, according to the sheriff. According to a news release, Upshur County deputies responded to a major fire at the Firehouse 9 Farm Event Venue at 10.33 a.m. Investigators believe proves that the venue were prepping for a later event when an accident happened, adding they don't suspect foul play. Uh... Again, have the professionals do. I mean, I went out and bought fire at works. You know, uh, and New York is, they're essentially just uh, the Roman candles. This is an opinion piece by Glenn Reynolds. CDC boss utterly laughed, laughed the well, exit warning on politicized science. Outgo, outgoing CDC Director Rochelle Walensky departed with a warning that we should beware of politicized science and misinformation. Isn't that like the pot calling the kettle black on that one? Right, Rochelle? And here we go. Now that Biden has been banned from social media, uh, communicating with them, right? Biden officials said social media companies uncooperative in addressing fentanyl crisis. Well, maybe it's because they do business in uh, other countries that are selling us fentanyl. Maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. Who knows? Ann Milgram, head of the DEA, has said that social media companies haven't been as cooperative as they could have in addressing the fentanyl crisis. We have not until recently gotten nearly as much cooperation as we need, she said on Sunday during an appearance on NBC's Meet the Depressed. I'm sorry, Meet the Press. Social media companies have to comply with their terms of service, which say it is illegal to sell drugs on their platforms, provide the requested information to law enforcement agencies, including the DEA. This is an outright emergency. Yeah, I said, I tell you, every family out there knows someone who OD'd on this stuff. I tell you. Over 100,000 deaths per year. Efforts uh, to re... This is from rollcall.com. Efforts to refill FEMA disaster fund faces competing priorities. House Democrat and Senate Republicans... Each have bills to add to the $11.5 billion. Some House lawmakers represent hurricane-prone districts want an emergency spending bill to ensure the government does not run out of money in the FEMA's disaster relief fund, joining a small but growing Senate effort. Representative Jared Muskowitz, a Democrat of Florida, former Florida Emergency Management Director, dubbed the master of disaster during the COVID-19 pandemic, Introduced legislation last week that would provide $11.5 billion in supplemental funding, right, uh, for the disaster relief fund. 
Uh, Delaware James Seymourland, uh, uh, Republican from Guam, has also uh, signed on. Well, Guam has a lot of disasters, right? But let's remember, uh, even though they can uh, talk about stuff in committee, these people from Guam, these representatives, have no voting authority uh, except in committee, and I think it's more procedural than anything. Procedural votes. Could be wrong on that. So uh, FEMA will probably run up a $10 billion deficit in, uh, by this fall. What do we got here? Anything else? Yes, I ran out of stories. Okay, here we go. There's uh, going to be a new social media platform allegedly out tomorrow, Threads. I will be uh, signing up for it uh, when it comes out. It's uh, apparently run by Meta, and it's set to launch in the UK and US uh, tomorrow. And uh, now, Twitter is supposed to be a uh, a competitor to Twitter, and we'll figure that out, you know. uh, A lot of controversy here with Twitter and everything else. Or on Twitter, some of you are watching this on Twitter. Um, I don't know. We'll see how this uh, goes here with... uh, all these social media companies. Uh, and you know what I forgot to do? I forgot our secret message to those in caught behind the lines in behavior-based safety country. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. How you respond to failure matters. How you respond to failure matters. And uh, let's go. How many minutes we got left here? Okay, we're going to... uh, There's really nothing else here. I mean, if you're interested in working with us at JCP Technical or uh, Safety Wars, give us a call, 845-269-5772. Contact us at jim at safetywars.com. Uh, I hope to uh, see you folks uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're uh, attempting to uh, broadcast three to five times a week live like this as our schedule uh, allows us. And I will see you folks uh, on the next broadcast. Uh, this is Jim Polzel signing off. This is Safety Up, oh, And, of course, not Safety Wars without a gaff or a blooper. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thank you.